I let you guys down. I'm sorry. I know I've been away for two whole weeks, but one of them I was in Morocco and then the other one, there was the bank holiday and everything. And it just, I don't know how everyone else feels about bank holidays and stuff, but I don't really welcome them quite as much as I used to because I have work to do. And bank holidays kind of get in the way of that. And especially if you're working for yourself or have your own company, bank holidays just make things a little bit tricky when the work week is so short. Then you throw on top childcare and what have you and you realise you have just no time. So I'm sorry that I did miss two weeks. I will try my utmost to not let it happen again. And that is why I put out on my Instagram and the Facebook group just the other day asking any specific questions that I can help you with for this episode that you might want answered. And you guys delivered and you have given me some questions to answer. It's going to be a bit of a mixed bag because obviously they're just your questions. But I love hearing your questions and I like to be able to answer things that will specifically help your projects moving forward. So let's dive in. First up, I've got pocket doors and whether you can use reclaimed doors as pocket doors or within pocket door systems. And the answer to that is, in theory, yes, 100% you can. You've just got to focus on a few things such as the actual pocket door system. You need to make sure it's got a width that can accommodate said door and you want that door to be pretty straight sometimes reclaimed doors you find they've got a bit of a warp or a wobble and you don't want that with a sliding door because that's going to affect it going in and out of the wall it's going to stick and be a right pain so you need to make sure that door's straight if it's only got a small wobble then you can accommodate that in the width of the pocket door mechanism and then you've just got to make sure about things like do you actually need a fire door in that position because Obviously, reclaimed doors aren't going to be FD30 fire doors and you don't want your building regs to come along and say that the doors that you've got aren't good enough and then you have to start again and lose your beautiful reclaimed doors. So providing you double check all of that and also that you've got then the width of the wall if you need it to be a bit wider for that reclaimed door or or deeper, if that makes more sense, to allow that door to slide nicely. And yeah, speak to your builder or look yourself at a system that can accommodate any door. Most pocket door systems, you buy the door separately anyway. So um, there's no real difference there. And then just make sure that if you are cutting a door down, a reclaimed door, that it's going to sort of hold itself together. But providing you look at those things, Leah, then uh, yeah, sure. Tank, can you just sit down? So Nick asked about reducing spend on a renovation and um, and that's actually quite a timely a timely question Um, it has been a timely question since the beginning of the year really since since halfway through last year to be fair because things are not cheap at the moment and I don't think it's going to change I don't think suddenly everything's going to settle down and things are going to get cheaper again because normally once people put their prices up if they start to get some savings they tend to keep them So I don't think we're going to see too much of a shift back down from the prices that they've gone up. And they have gone up a lot. Work has gone up. The actual cost of the build has gone up an enormous amount. So if you got quotes last year or the year before, or you've got friends saying, oh, well, when I did my loft extension in um, 2019 or even 2022, it cost me this. And all your quotes are completely different to that. It's not you. (laughs) It's not them either. But it is 
just the cost of building at the moment, which is a bit eye-watering. And if you do want to save on that, obviously where you have the most control to save is on your fixtures and fittings choices, sadly, because that's basically the bit that you see day in, day out. It's like the icing on the cake. And these days, that's kind of where you're going to have to save the money if you need to save the money. Other options are obviously doing things in stages as you, you know, do do one part of the house and then do another, like do the extension and then save the rest of the internals for next year, for example. But complexity of work, obviously, will always add cost to the work costs. But generally, the costs of work are the costs of work. You can't do much about them. So... But what you can do is look into, if you're working with an architect, you can look into all materials specified, specifically things for roofing, glazing. It's it's always the same, really. Anything that's beautiful costs money. Anything that's um, particularly nicely designed generally costs money, unless you're being really clever about it. But on the whole, it's just a rule of life that is sadly true, much like anything that tastes good is going to give you a fat ass. It it's just, you know, you'll get these fake sugars and sweeteners and you'll get fat-free this and fat-free that, but it is just not the same. And that's kind of the same with works, I think. However, architects have been known um, to specify quite expensive stuff that you could get a similar outcome if you use something different. And that can be anything from insulation down to glazing to the type of roof that you're using and and if you want to have a look into this then I would have a look at speaking to your builder and asking them if they see any different materials that could be used that would save you money either in the material itself being cheaper or the cost of labor maybe it's easier quicker to lay a resin roof rather than I don't know tile for example resin roof would be flat and a tile wouldn't so it doesn't really make any sense but I'm just trying to think of something off the top of my head or, or, or a certain way to structure something that might save you some money, but then you might lose on the, the design and you've got to ask yourself, once it's all done and it's the price and the works and the dust are all a distant memory, are you going to kick yourself that you didn't do it the way you wanted to do it? Or are you going to congratulate yourself that you made those changes? So that's with regards to the work. I think that's all you can do. Other than that, like I say, the price of the work is the price of the work. On from there, you have lots of choices to make things that bit cheaper. From the appliances that you choose, to the worktops that you choose, to the kitchen that you choose, to the plug sockets that you choose. A lot of people spend time agonising over really expensive plug sockets and spending an awful lot of money on plug sockets that are going to be hidden by the time all the furniture is in. Radiators as well. People are spending a lot of money on radiators that look very attractive, but they take up a lot of space on the wall. There's other options that aren't as expensive as, for example, cast iron traditional radiators, let's say. And and I guess economising and working out the things that if you do spend money on them, they're really going to impact. And the things that aren't going to impact that you just don't need to spend money on. And literally going through that budget with a fine tooth comb and asking yourself two questions. One, can I find this anywhere else? very similar but at a better price or two can I find a complete alternative that I'm happy with that 
is obviously cheaper or three do I need as many of these and can I get them later on you know you don't need to fully furnish a place on the day that it's finished it's nice to that's the ideal but you can get things over time so there are certain things that you can add in over time certain things that you can't I would say prioritize your kitchen it's the hardest working room in the house you don't want to be coming back to that you want to be doing that all at once get that done you can't do that in bits bedrooms living rooms even certain bathrooms you can divide up and you can do you can stagger them that bit more and and are you are you doing some structural things that maybe you don't need to doing structural things brings extra cost because it means steels it means building regulations obviously if you're not doing an extension because then you need building regulations anyway but if you're just doing a renovation structural things will bring money onto the budget and also if you're sort of opening up open plan you're going to have to think about nowadays everyone's very very hot on fire regs so you're going to need to think about things like mist systems or sprinkler systems or all these sorts of stuff that add a lot of money a lot of money to things and there can be things that creep up on you that you don't quite factor in at the beginning um to give you an idea miss systems used to be around 1200 pounds per per system and a miss system what it does is it it's like a little plaque on the wall and uh, and if there's a fire then this plaque turns around and it will spray concentrated water mist exactly where the fire is and that's what you have to do mostly nowadays if you want something open plan you have to get these things in um, and they link to a little box full of this condensed water that links to the water mains and the box is about as big as an old school computer drive if you remember those the ones with the buttons on that the floppy disk came out of and they used to sit under your desk or maybe on your desk if you were like super cool one of those about the size of that but yeah they used to be 1200 pounds give or take that was four years ago and now you can't get one for under two and a half grand um so things all things have gone up and then if you really need to reduce money and you really want to get things done I would be quite clever at picking certain places that offer finance a zero percent finance very handy if you want to stagger things out and then stagger some payments out um, obviously be very careful and mindful that you will have enough money to cover um, cover the payments as the time goes on but you know when it comes to kitchens sofas etc there's a lot of appliances there's a lot of companies that do not percent finance and if you're in a good place financially with regards to pay then that can be really helpful when you just want to get things finished off and you just need that little extra bit of wiggle room for the money side of things so yeah that's that's I guess that's my best advice on that as well and and, and you can also leave other more expensive things till later like window dressings and you can get cheaper paints paint is a lot paint paint adds a lot of money to your budget so don't forget about paint you know if you're doing a renovation we're talking hundreds of pounds into the thousands um so yeah and 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 using cheaper paint isn't always the best plan because generally cheaper paint you have to do more coats takes longer uh therefore more labor and you need more paint so it kind of starts to even out a bit yeah i hope that's helpful but the sad reality is is that it being extremely honest with you guys Building is expensive right now. It's really expensive. Um, building work is expensive. 
carpentry is expensive, cabinetry is expensive, everything's expensive. I mean, look, bloody hell, the supermarket's expensive. Everything's expensive right now. And build work was expensive in the first place, and it's gone up just like everything else. So just be really good at getting your quotes in. Really make sure you're factoring everything in so you don't get any nasty surprises. And make sure you've got some wiggle room of at least 10 to 20% uh, for unknown quantities and surprises because there will always, always be some. Always. So, on that rather glum note, sorry, <laughs> there are still some, there, 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 there are good deals around. You just have to be savvy and uh, spend a lot of time looking around at things. Another question is sloping roofs. What to do with sloping roofs? And I suppose that relates to probably loft rooms mostly, I would think. And lighting, I mean, obviously you can't really get a pendant in on a sloping roof. It's going to hit you in the face. So we always go with spots and wall lights. Don't underestimate the ambiance and the general usefulness of wall lights. They are great for sloping roof rooms because you can bring attraction to places that you want the eye to go. And, you know, you've got to go with the sort of cosy feel of them and the slightly off centered feel of a sloping roof and really just lean into it and I think wall lights are a great way to do that um paneling as well tongue and groove paneling is a good idea to heighten even the lower bits in in your eye you want to go with a vibe that that makes you feel like you're in a special little place I think when when you have these loft rooms um and I think they often get forgotten the the these companies come in and they do these loft extensions it's like a bish bash bosh put it up real cheap there you go your price is actually only to first fix so if you want to do anything else here's where more costs come in and a lot of people get surprised by that and it's not always made clear when the building is started that if you want sort of extra things going on you know on all the decoration this that and the other it's going to cost you more and I think I think you can do a lot with loft rooms. Um, I don't think the height of the ceiling should hold you back too much other than let it hold you back from putting in a pendant that's going to hit people in the face. But the sloped the, the, the sloped part of the roof, the lower parts of the rooms, they're great for chairs. People are sitting down anyway. If they're the bathrooms, that's where you put the bath. That's where you put the toilet. You can have low beds under there as well. And I, and I would say also bring it out a bit so you can really use that eaves storage. Make that considered, the eaves storage. Don't make it like, oh, here's as much room as we can possibly get in the house and then we've got this tiny little bit of storage. Bring the wall in so that you have a reasonable low head height, i.e. enough that you could put a chair under it or a toilet. And then you still have a good bit of storage behind it so you don't compromise on both because otherwise you bring that space into the room and yeah, you get more floor space, but it's completely unusable in real terms. It would be much more usable as storage hidden away behind a door. And let's face it, we all need more storage. Storage is like you live up to your means in storage. The more storage you have, the more shit you accumulate. It's just another fact of life. I'm giving you all the facts of life today. One of them is that whatever you earn, you end up spending up to it. And the other one is that whatever storage you have, you end up using up to it as well. No one has empty storage, do they? So storage is great. No one ever has enough. And it just means you can just hide away all that stuff. And also, actually, not, all, not only can you hide away a load of stuff, if you're really clever with your storage, 
it really allows you to save money because you can have a lot of stuff that you reuse. You don't need to rebuy, whether that's decorations, whether it's toys and games that come out every summer, whether it's different bits of furniture that you know you're going to want later, whether it's, I don't know, so many things. Uh, Storage is great and you always, always want to take it where you can. So yeah, I've gone a bit off tangent, but sloping roofs, definitely spots, definitely wall lights, not pendants. And yeah, generally, I think lean into this sort of more cozy vibe, a nice bit of panelling. I think because there's smaller rooms and lower ceilings, wallpaper looks really nice. And going a little bit more punchy with colours is pretty is a pretty good plan too. There's some really nice kind of built-in scenarios that you can get as well with regards to beds and things. Have a look on trusty old Pinterest and I'm sure, sure a lot will come up. So it was Becky that asked me about that. And Becky was also asking about different types of paint for different places. And could I give a kind of rundown, especially with an example of lime wash? There are a few lime wash paints around. Bowwork, B-A-U-W-E-R-K, if I remember correctly, the spelling, is a great option. They have so many colours. It goes on really well. Some of them can be too watery and and then the texture is just too much and it looks more like you've done some sort of Lawrence Llewellyn Bone rag cloth changing room situation which is not what we want to create we just want to create some depth and texture to the walls and some movement it often gets confused with polished plaster finish which it's not so lime wash it's basically to put it very basic is it's a very watery paint that you have to brush on in a certain way with a nice big fat brush and it makes for lovely texture and movement on the walls and a very deep sense of colour. It's great if you've not got so much artwork maybe and you want um, the walls to feel a little bit more alive and less flat. I really love a lime wash and I love that you can get in lots of different colours. We've just put it forward for um, a utility in like a deep burgundy And I'm really excited, really excited about potentially doing that because I think a lot of people lean towards the kind of neutrals, but it looks great in a black as well. A black lime wash is really, really cool if you want to go moody somewhere. So that's lime wash. Obviously, you have different horses for different courses when it comes to paint, different paint for different places. I need to think about that one a bit more. You've got your mat which is very, it's what most people want now. People used to use eggshell a lot more than they do now. It, it's been matte for a long time. And matte is great. Matte does give a little bit more of a feeling of depth to the walls. And obviously it's best for walls. It marks very easily and it's very hard to wipe off those marks once they're made because it, it sort of has no, um, if you think about it, it's having no seal on it almost it's quite sort of absorbent if you get water on it or something it'll probably mark and uh, so it's not great for high traffic areas but it is it does give a nice look it gives this sort of you know soft mallowy look and it's what most people turn to these days for their choice of type of wall paint some paint companies like little green do intelligent matte which is a little bit better and they have got better but especially if you've got a dark color like a dark color in matte needs to be in a room that isn't going to be 
ravaged by kids or animals, basically, because you're going to want to redo it all the time. You're going to have scuffs everywhere. But what it does is it can hide some slight imperfections fairly well. But yeah, you, you do want it for low traffic areas. And then we move on to eggshell, which has a very slight sheen. It's generally what we use now for woodwork because we don't want that sheen on woodwork anymore. No one is going for the gloss white door frames and skirting board. And please, God, don't go for the gloss white skirting boards and door frames unless it's a really considered reason, like it's actually a design feature and you're doing gloss, a gloss colour for, for a reason. Don't just let your builder or your decorator do gloss white everywhere. It looks awful, it looks cheap, it looks nasty. And it takes a long time to dry and to, to paint well. So eggshell or satin is what you want for your woodwork. That has a lower sheen, much lower sheen. So it's got a sheen compared to the matte, but it's not by any means gloss. So basically the shinier you go, the easier it is to wipe things off. And an eggshell and then a satin will be easier to wipe. You've also got things like bathroom paint that wipe really well and deal really well with condensation. They're fine for like behind kitchen splashbacks and sink splashbacks. You don't need tiles as long as you've got bathroom paint, you're good to go. Or a really good eggshell, in fact, you're fine. Eggshell's great in high traffic areas because it just stands up uh, to scuffs and stuff more. It's much easier to clean. Um, and then again, similar to satin. So the difference between satin and eggshell, how is best to describe? Satin, yeah, so eggshell, well, I, well, think of a, the shell of an egg, basically. It's not matte, but it does have this sort of smooth, does have this kind of smooth finish, and it's not shiny, but I guess eggshell is called eggshell because of that. It's, it's almost sort of a velvety, but then you can get that with a matte as well. So I'm spinning myself in circles here. Whereas the satin, it does have a slight reflectiveness to it. Yeah, and then and then we go on to the glosses. Like, you know, if you're doing your kitchen cabinets, if you're repainting your kitchen cabinets, and I'll get on to that in a sec with regards to horses for courses paint. Paint for purposes? It doesn't have a ring to it either, does it? So your semi-gloss and your high-gloss are really easy to clean. They're very resistant. Um, they'll wipe down. You can get some glosses now if you have a look at the Instagram account of Man With A Hammer, who we interviewed a little while ago on this podcast. He did his front door in a really high-gloss, and it literally looks it looks amazing. It looks like, like a mirrored colour. Take a look. That's how glossy gloss can get. You can see your own reflection in it. But it does highlight imperfections, so you want a really smooth finish before you start painting it. That's why it mostly gets used for kind of the smaller areas that need to stand up to more traffic, like your front doors and skirting boards in the past. Um, but, you know, you can do other things with gloss. Gloss is very good to reflect the light if you're going for a darker colour in a space. So there's... Uh, I can't remember who did it. I need to look it up. But there's a famous red library that was all done in gloss. And it looks amazing. I actually painted the roof of my basement in gloss white. I think the reasoning at the time was that I just wanted to paint. I wanted... I was... It had... Um, it had... 
Oh my god, my mind's gone completely blank. Beams. You could see the beams. And every time I tried to paint them, the markings would come through. I tried this not stop stuff everything up, nothing was working. And I had some gloss paint and I was like, do you know what? This is the thickest stuff I've possibly got. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna paint the this whole ceiling gloss white. And the walls were setting plaster, no, Middleton pink setting plaster, one or the other. And it was very low ceilings, but it worked a dream um, because the ceiling was kind of reflective and it looked really cool. And it sort of lifted the ceiling quite a lot. So that's quite a good trick with gloss. It does brighten up space because it's it's reflective. So it's quite cool for small spaces that you might want to do something in. Rita Koenig did her, she's got her bathroom in a gloss green. It's a little bathroom in her London place in a gloss green, and it's cool. It's unexpected, and it takes a little while, and your painters won't like it, but it's definitely a cool little trick to pull. And if you're thinking about painting other places, like kitchens and stuff, I know a lot of people repaint their kitchen doors and things, then you need to have a look at Zinza for your undercoats, and Rust-Oleum is very good for kitchen cabinet paint. They've got very good colours, they're normally quite on the mark, and um, they're very resistant, they're cabinet paints, so they are good for that. And uh, generally the paints that we're going towards at the minute are Benjamin Moore, an American brand. They're very high quality paints and you can literally find any type of paint for any kind of surface obviously not not the cheapest but definitely the best quality and also little green and lick i know that i will probably upset lots of people when i say that we starting to shy away from fire and ball a bit we found that quite often depends on the color but um, there can be a lot of discrepancy between the kind of thickness of the paint, which which proves difficult when you're trying to work out costings and stuff like that, and can be a little bit disappointing when you start painting. And I do feel that people like Lick are much more on the ball with the colours that people are wanting right now. I also really like the fact that Lick do their sticker testers because they're very true representations of the colour, and they don't charge you £6 for a tester pot that you're only going to use three mil of and then it's going to sit in a cupboard drying out for the rest of god knows how long unless you actually use it and then you keep it by in case you ever want to do touching up but by the time you do do touching up you need so much that that tester pot is just completely pointless plus it's at the back of that storage that you can't get into because you haven't got enough storage and everything's you know in front of it and you've forgotten that you even had it so uh lick stickers i like that I think that's a nice plan. Um, they are generally our go-tos. Little Green, Ben Moore and, and Lick. I do like Edward Bulmer. I like some of his colours for more kind of heritage looks, but some of them discolour with time. So if you don't sort of really use them all within a week or so, you'll find that you might be doing another coat and it might come out a slightly different colour because they are natural naturally based so that is one to make sure your decorators know do not leave it a weekend or a sort of week to do another coat if the pot of paint is open start with a new 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 tub that's just a handy handy extra little tidbit there for you what else do i have so sarah has asked about styling beds and shelves Obviously, it's a funny one, beds, or I find it a funny one, because the beds that we look at and we think, oh, doesn't that look like a great bed, whether it be on Instagram, Pinterest, 
magazines, wherever, are heavily and highly styled. And if that's how you want your bed to look every day, you have to make a big commitment to both financing that bed and also daily putting that bed together, putting that bed together on the daily. There's a lot going on in these highly stylized beds. Don't get me wrong, they look good. They look like you want to get into them. I just, I, I, I'm constantly wondering what the percentage of people that have beds that look this way actually have a bed that always looks that way. Like every day they set it up again because that's hardcore, you know? Respect to you, to be fair. I think you have to be a certain type of person. But anyway, I'm going to press on because even if you just want your bed to look like this when you first made it, cool. Or just to take a picture. That's what we do nowadays, isn't it? But you have to kind of pick it apart in order to get the look that you want. So what happens is they'll have the sheet that's tucked in, obviously, and then they'll have a loose sheet that will be made under the duvet and then folded back after the duvet has been put over the loose sheet. You'll notice... In most of these beds, if you look, the pillows literally cut and the throw pillows, the sleeping pillows and the throw pillows, almost make it halfway down the bed before that duvet is seen because that duvet has been sort of folded back unless they have a second flat sheet that's sort of underneath and tucked in. And so the duvet is folded almost halfway down with then the throw or the comforter, whatever you want to call it, That is then, or quilt, I guess we are in the UK, that's then put in between, I'll do a download for you guys because it's quite hard to describe on here. So it's put in between the duvet and the folded back flat sheet. Some people are adding bed skirts now to beds, which are the bits of material that cover the feet and the legs of the bed. Particularly good maybe if you've got a divan, because the bottoms of divans aren't very attractive. Or again, if you want to use your bed for storage, but it's not a divan and you don't have built-in drawers, you can use a bed skirt, it's pretty handy, because it will hide whatever you've got under your bed, if your bed is on legs. Sometimes that quilt or throw is like doubled up, so you'll have a big wide one that goes right over the end of the bed, covers about maybe 20% of the bed foot, and then a folded up throw on top of that. Generally, the throw has more texture than the quilt underneath. It's hard because everyone kind of calls these things different things. Then you've you've got your duvet under those two. And so then onto the cushions... All the cushions that you see piled up on these beds aren't actually really the cushions that you sleep on. The cushions that you sleep on are always hidden somewhere in between. They're either stacked at the back, and then in front of there you have large Euro pillows, they're called, because they're quite big and square. It's a certain size. I should give you the size. Let me find out how big a Euro pillow is, because off the top of my head, I do not know, because I am terribly numero-dyslexic. So they're about... 26 by 26 inches. We don't live in the States. So what is that in centimetres? That is about 66 centimetres. Yeah, they're about 60 by 60 over here. Bit of bit of live looking up there for you. 
So you've got your pillows that you sleep on hidden away behind your 60 by 60 euro pillows. Then in front of, which are kind of, which are square, obviously 60 by 60. Then in front of those, you've got your more standard shaped pillows, which is the rectangle, two of those. And then in front of that, you either have a bolster pillow, like the long round ones, or you can go into a slightly bigger rectangle, or you can go to small, like one smaller square cushion, basically is the kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to put together a couple of things for you guys to download because to try and explain these things just by talking is basically impossible. And I don't know whether anyone will be understanding what I mean or following along. So I'm going to stop talking about pillows and beds right now. And I'm just going to say, look down and download and just, I just want to add in here, I realise I haven't actually talked about, um, I'm just going through this quickly, and I realise that I haven't talked about colours and things like that. So I'm just going to add that in if it sounds a little bit different, that is why. A good rule to go for is keep your standard bed sleeping pillows white, keep all your sheets white, your duvet white all of it. If you want a cohesive look and then you want your kind of throw pillows and your throws and stuff to really stand out, keep all your main bedding white. Best plan. And then when it comes to the throw pillows, have a rule of you want, you, you can mix and match which are which, but you want one line that's going to be a pattern, one line that's going to be a kind of textured block colour, and by that I mean it could be, the texture could be velvet, the texture could be a kind of, some sort of puckered material, the texture could be a, a sort of lumpy linen, something like that, or, or you could have your ruffle edge around your block colour, and, and that's how you can mix it, and you can do two contrasting patterns, so you can have one pattern that is small, uh, one pattern that's larger. Obviously, you want all your kind of tones to sort of go together and then the textured block colour. So to give an example, let's say you have your white pillows and you then have your square Euro pillows as a small pattern and then you have one in front of that that is like a bolster cushion, let's say, and that is some sort of russet velvet with a with a trim around it with a, with like a ruffle around it or you could sort of go the other way where you could have your bolster sorry your euro pillows maybe with like a nice stripe like a detailed stripe and then you could have your texture in the pillows in between and then your front pillow can be your can be another a pattern that's not a stripe that's something more botanical let's say in nature and then just make sure that the array of colors that you've got you've got one slightly punchier color and you've got a couple that sort of blend a bit into the general color scheme generally the punchier colors are put in the 60 by 60 larger pillows and the rest are a little bit more muted or they're all muted and the punchy color is put in the bolster pillow which again it could be short it could be long depending on your bed size and again I will give you some some images to illustrate that too when it comes to the actual bedding on the bed generally the the larger what are we calling it I um god eider down comforter 
quilt. We'll call it a quilt. The larger quilt that goes on top of the duvet normally has some sort of cotton texture. So they quilted in some way, um, like a cotton quilted. So they've got a lot of the sewing on top of them that make, that give it a texture. And then the, the extra throw over the end of the bed, generally something tends to be something like natural fibery, like a wool, cashmere, something knitted, basically, to give that just extra bit of warmth. And then really in the summer, you'd probably take that off to give more of like a fresher look. And in the winter, you can, you know, you can go all out with, with all your blankets and stuff. So you can have a bit of a summer bedtime look and a winter bedtime look. But again, I appreciate these things are a little bit hard to talk about when you don't have imagery to go to. So we'll put some pictures together. If you look down in the show notes, you can download it and then you can see some pillow options and some bed options and have them kind of broken apart. And once you've done that, you will notice how kind of unnatural actually a lot of these beds look. Like, don't get me wrong. They look good, but when you're actually thinking about sleeping in them and where the cushions are and where the gaps are and where things are folded down to, it just doesn't really seem to make that much sense. And then Sarah was also asking about styling shelving. So also how to avoid things looking matchy-matchy on shelves, but still having some cohesiveness. Now to that, I would say give your shelves time to evolve and, and also move them around. Don't think that because you've put stuff on them once that's where how everything should stay the house I think is constantly evolving depending on what's going on in it time of the year etc you want to see different things around and it's quite nice just having a reshuffle basically from all over the house to different areas and bringing different kind of collections of stuff together but you always want something that's natural you always want a couple of books you always want something that's more metal and then more man-made rather than and it sort of looks like it's been touched by the hand so that could be a clay pot it could be something wooden it could be I don't know something that your kids made even but I think the key is to have some unusual objects let things evolve with time and pick up things as you go and pick up things that have some meaning to you and also that has some use like if you're going to have a box make it store something whether that be the tv remote control or extra gubbins that you use in whatever room it's in, whether that's matches or, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think what we hide in, what we hide in ours. Matches, TV control, we've got some marbles that Sylvie puts in there. I hide the nail clippers in there because I cut Sylvie's nails in front of the TV. And I have to get them out unawares and, like, shock her with them and then say that I'll turn off the TV if she doesn't let me do them. It's the only way. We've got guitar picks because my husband plays guitar. So we've got places for things, like we've got a pot that houses TV viewing glasses, for example, in their cases. So I like things where possible to have a little bit of a purpose. Obviously, not everything has a purpose, and sometimes the purpose is just to look attractive, which is obviously okay, because we want attractive-looking shelves. But you want differences of height, you want differences of material, you want differences of colour, but you can repeat a colour. So... A lot of these items come with their own colour anyway. If something's natural, if something's a plant, if something's made of wood, if something's made of metal, that's just a colour in itself. And then if you do want to bring a colour in, you can bring that in with either the photographs that you're displaying, frames, books, and have this repeat without obviously everything being 
exactly the same in in color it helps even if things are the same color to have different texture going around so for example even if you've got a lot of white you can have white that is a candle and white that is a sort of very textured pot and white that is a book white that is coral maybe even white is obviously a very basic one but it's just quite easy to go to and so ideas are leaning frames up as a backing to create a bit more up and down movement you want your eye to travel up and down and mostly in a triangle so you want groups of for example you want odd numbered groups rather than um, even numbered groups so you want groups of three groups of three that are also different sizes ideal and groups of three that are not in a line but are sort of placed in almost a circle facing front um, is generally going to be your best Stick to triangles and a mixture of heights and group things into roughly threes is your bestest bet. And then when you're looking from a distance, you can also have triangular eye points that take your eye to places by using the same kind of item. So that's how you can bring in your color without going like massively over the top so you might have three house plants and you've arranged them on your shelving as a whole so that the eye can see them as points of a triangle they might not be house plants they might be photo frames they might be piles of books they might be vases but a similar item we love triangles and we love groups of three and we love we love odd numbers basically so if you can think of those rules and odd heights (laughs) so heights triangles odd numbers is that it heights triangles odd numbers yeah groupings yeah so if you can keep those rules you generally can't go too wrong And then at the end of the day, you've got to play around with it. You know, it's got to sit right in your eye. So just reshuffle. And the best way to start styling your shelves or restyling your shelves is to take everything off. Like take absolutely everything off and start from the beginning. And if something isn't working, just put it away in the cupboard for a bit. It doesn't have to be there. Don't like get too stuck on, you know, oh, I bought these candlesticks. I've got to make them work. If they don't work, they don't work. You'll find a home for them later somewhere else. Put them in a cupboard until they're needed it's fine. They won't cry about it. As far as I know, homeware don't have feelings just yet. So it's fine. Take out what you want to take out. Take away what you want to take away. Don't jam pack your shelves because you want a bit of negative space as well. Think about the negative space you're kind of creating. You can use different objects, for example, um, bookends. It's always quite a nice one. Different objects on top of stacked books is also quite a nice one to sort of complete a little moment in itself. And also books, like stacked books being used as a bookend with then, yeah, again, something else on that stacked book. And as I mentioned, having paintings and pictures and things leaned up at the back as a bit of a backing to create your little vignette is always quite a nice one. Because I know that a lot of people talk about shelf styling and they don't, necessarily get that specific and I know that a lot of people walk away going oh I still don't quite understand for my stuff but it is quite hard to be specific without taking actual items but I think another rule you can go by on like the threes is is you want a high a low and a medium height in the threes as well that helps that helps and 
you need to be able to fit them in a triangle in some way, shape or form, an imaginary triangle, imaginary triangle. And that can be any triangle. It doesn't have to be, oh God, I need to remember my school maths now. What are the different triangles? A, a 90 degree triangle, an oblique triangle. I have no idea. I know they have names. Someone needs to educate me on triangles. I'm sorry, guys. You know what I mean, right? We all did GCSE maths. It can be a different type of triangle. It doesn't have to be like the obvious one that you make with your hands. And again, if all else fails, just keep keep reshuffling and sit down, sit, sit back, look at it, and see what sits well with your eye. And know that, you know, rules aren't you. You don't always have to follow the rules. If you see something, if you set up something, you're like, I love the way that looks, then throw the bloody rules out the window. They are just the sort of general guides that create an easy fix. Okay, so that's all of the questions I have so far. If anyone has any other questions, feel free to pop them on the Facebook group or on the Instagram. I might do another one of these in a month or so. And I've got to go now to pick up my little girl. But I also wanted to let you know that actually on the 31st of May, I'm going to be doing another workshop. And this one will be on styling. And I will have some examples for you. And I will be able to put some things in front of you to really kind of show what makes a difference and how you can choose your items and put put things together well when it comes to styling things like sideboards and shelving and stuff because I know that a lot of people do think about that a lot and struggle with it and generally need a hand so I'm going to put more information about that below in the show notes and it'll be up on the Facebook group soon jump on board with that if you're interested also I had such a good time speaking to so many of you with some of your design dilemmas when I did the half an hour chats that I'm actually going to open them up again and I've got some space to do some little half hour consultations for people that are embarking on renovations, extensions, new house builds, things like that. And I've got space for about five people. So if you didn't get in on the first round, drop me a line. I'm going to put it up on the Facebook and the Instagram too. So just drop me a line anywhere. I'll put my email in the show notes below so you can just scroll down and take a look or find us on the Instagram studio LFF or in the Facebook group ain't nobody like a homebody and just drop us a line and and we can have a chat about anything you've been having trouble with and see if I can help. So take a look out for that if that is helpful at all. And it's been really nice chatting to you again because I missed you guys over this last two weeks. I've been feeling incredibly guilty that I haven't got my act together and chatted to you, but I will be here weekly from here on out talking about all sorts of different subjects as normal. So bye for now and I'll be seeing you next week.